I don't need help. I'm not in an abusive relationship. This is just how it is for us. It's a lie we tell ourselves, one that many in abusive relationships repeat until they believe it. But there's hope. Welcome to I'm Not In An Abusive Relationship, a podcast about surviving domestic and sexual violence. This show is about hope. You will hear from survivors of abuse, and their stories may sound familiar. They may even inspire hope. Our goal is to connect with others in these toxic relationships to offer that hope, and with supporters of our mission, anyone willing to help get rid of abuse in our culture. We also talk with the experts in the field, from the officers on the front lines of domestic abuse calls to the therapists and advocates helping survivors navigate this complicated road of recovery. If you're in need of help, please visit our website or call our 24-7 hotline, 800-828-2023. And if this is an emergency and you need help immediately, please call 911. Welcome to I'm Not In An Abusive Relationship with your host, Claudia Pauls. And welcome back to I'm Not In An Abusive Relationship. I'm your guest host, Dan, and uh, sitting in for Claudia today, discussing healthy relationships after domestic violence, uh, kind of this moving beyond, kind of this healing app opportunity. Uh, and joining me in studio today is Elizabeth Alderson, and uh, she is our uh, our therapist at DASIS and is, is a licensed master social worker. I say that right? Mm-hmm. I love it. I've been listening. See? I pay attention. So, Liz, thank you for joining us today. Uh, let's talk a little bit about what this looks like, healthy relationships after domestic violence. Can 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 people have them? Absolutely. So there's there's hope. If I'm yes. in the middle of an abusive relationship, there is hope that I can eventually love again someday kind of a thing. Yes. So let's unpack that a little bit. Absolutely. Yeah, and I think that is sometimes the hardest concept for survivors to experience because oftentimes when they're coming to services for domestic violence relationships, this is not that first relationship, Mm. you know? And so there's been this pattern of they've been in abusive relationships. And so that tells the survivor that they're the problem, that every relationship they have is going to be abusive because they were that common denominator in all those relationships. And so it comes with that, you know, that self-talk of like, it's me. And so this is what I'm worthy of. This is what I deserve. And if they've experienced domestic violence growing up in their home and their in their home of origin, you know, so with their parents or step parents or um, adoptive parents or grandparents, just that family history of it, then it's like, well, this is all I've known. This is all I'll ever know. And so it's a lot of that, you know, just work of like, no, you are worthy of a healthy relationship. It's possible to have a healthy relationship. If you see Joe Schmo on the street and their partner having a healthy relationship that's possible for you too because one you weren't the problem in those relationships right and so there's an old episode it's probably a year ago where we talked about power and control and so we have to first remember that 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 relationship that you've been in is a was abusive because that other person that other partner was seeking power and control over you it was not the survivor it never was it was always that abusive person and so when we're able to understand and really recognize that this is not my fault Mm -hmm. and that takes work it's then that we can unpack the like there is a possibility for health for love for hope and healing that we always talk about in our relationships because I think oftentimes what we're going to talk about is how do you have a healthy romantic relationship in the future but oftentimes again as survivors they've experienced unhealthy romantic relationships and unhealthy other relationships 
family relationships, friend relationships, work relationships, because if you're a perpetrator of domestic violence, you're perpetrating in all those areas. And so it starts there, but then it's that, that there is hope and healing possible. It's just, um, kind of being, we use it as like, like red flags, green flags, looking out for abusive people because they're still out there. Right. 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 And so how do, what do I look for in a partner? What are some warning signs when I'm getting to know that person that maybe they, you know, maybe they're abusive in other relationships. Um, and then a lot of times it's that internal work too, of like being ready for that next relationship being, you know, cause relationships are vulnerable. You know, we talk about Brene Brown a lot here yeah, cause yeah. we love her. It She's, talks about yeah. that vulnerability, right? If we want to have a relationship with somebody, we have to be able to be vulnerable with them. But if I'm a survivor, it's scary to be vulnerable with somebody again. And so for a lot of survivors, it's a lot of internal work before having a healthy relationship in the future. You mentioned family history. Mm-hmm. It, is that oftentimes why someone is gets into abusive relationships, or is that not necessarily an indicator? I mean, if I'm in an abusive relationship, does that mean that my parents were abusive to each other or something? It, it doesn't necessarily correlate, does it? No, it doesn't necessarily correlate because it's the abuser's fault why the abuse happened. So you said, is that why the the survivor is in that abusive relationship and it's not necessarily why it could be why the abuser picked that victim now survivor of domestic violence because maybe they knew that history because abusers are in our community you know they're in our friend group they're in our family group and they're very keen and aware of the things that you're sharing so if we work together and you talk about you know because you've worked together and you've had lunch together for six months now and there's a group of friends and you talk about having you know um you're like you have a child in common and that other person is just very controlling or manipulative or something or maybe you say something about your childhood and your parents you know you don't talk about them because it's christmas time um because it's just not great and you don't talk to them anymore that's something an abuser is going to pick up on and say oh they might have a history of abuse that might make it so that I could be abusive over them. And so it's not that survivor's fault. Mm. It's that that abuser is listening for every word that they can possibly say. They're scanning their crowd and their surroundings, looking for someone they can manipulate. And they start with those easy tactics of, you know, getting to know people and feeling them out. They'll start saying things and just seeing how people respond and, if, you know, we're unaware that it's even happening, but they're just kind of like testing boundaries and seeing. You just blew my mind. <laughs> like that that shift in focus from mm-hmm. I saw it as a survivor, as a victim. I saw it, so I'm okay with it. So I, this must be all I'm worth to the abusers. And, and we've said it on this show before. Don't ask the abused why they keep going back. Ask the abuser why they keep abusing. Mm-hmm. And this is the same kind of a shift. So listeners hear that. It's not that you are in a pattern of abuse is that these abusers find victims because they see what has happened and they find that they're victims. They're, they're predators. Mm-hmm. That's what they are. Mm-hmm. Again, another episode we had, how to protect yourself against emotional predators. Go listen to that and check mm-hmm. that out. Um, so the other thing is you, you said uh, the work. Mm-hmm. I heard you say we have to get through the work mm-hmm. to see what moving beyond looks like. Mm-hmm. What, is, what does that work look like? Oh, it depends on the individual. <laughs> yeah. But oftentimes it's that that work of, you know, working with advocacy when it's when it's needed, working with therapy when it's needed, because for a lot of times it's unpacking that emotional, not baggage, but that emotional 
baggage that you bring in and doing that internal work of these are how I identify myself. And it might not be true. I might not agree with these things, but it's how I identify myself. When I look in the mirror, I see worthless Liz. And I know that's not true, but I can't stop telling myself that I'm worthless when I look in the mirror. And so it's, it's, that's the damage that abusive relationships do. And it's, so it's unpacking that and getting through that. I can look in the mirror and see that I'm worthy And now it's, what am I worthy of? Do I want to have a relationship in the future? And if that answer is yes for a survivor, okay, then what do you want your relationship to look like? You know, we talk about, um, I guess my friends did in high school and college, maybe not everybody's friend group did, you know, what do you want in your partner? What do you want them to look like? What do you want them to act like? Mm -hmm. What do you, what do you want their talents to be? You know, do you want them to be a musician or a doctor or a teacher or all those things? Well, that's not out the window now in adulthood. You know, many of the survivors that I work with are adults, but the same for teenagers as well. Um, what do I want that survivor or what do I want that new relationship to look like? Are there things that I want that person to be? Of course, you know, probably top on everybody's list is not abusive, right? I mean, well, it seems weird. Like we almost laugh about that, but that should that does shouldn't shouldn't have to be one of our lists. But yeah. gosh. We need to talk about it. Yeah. And so if that's on my list, I want my next partner to not be abusive. What is not abusive? Um, I learned back in the old school days of my psychology background and behavior analysis, which is why we do everything that we do. We're trained to do them. Um, The first thing is that a behavior is not something a dead person can do. So when I say I want my next partner to not be abusive, is a dead person not abusive? Absolutely. Because it's a lack of behavior, you know. So what are those characteristics of not abusive? Because not abusive isn't really a behavior. And that's okay. that's far-fetched. You know, that's, you know, fancy behavior analysis talk. Um, but, but it makes sense because, again, you want – it sounds to me like what you're saying is a behavior isn't a negative. Mm-hmm. It's not abusive isn't the behavior. Not abusive actually means these other things. Yep. Respect, mm-hmm. listening, mm-hmm. treat, you know. So go yeah yeah okay. yeah. So the first thing, equality, right, in a relationship, because what happens in an unhealthy relationship? You have power and control over me. Mm-hmm. And yes, some relationships need that, right? Your supervisor is going to have some kind of power and authority over you. But is it healthy versus unhealthy, right? And so equality in a relationship. Where do you go to want to go to lunch after the podcast, Dan? Right, right. You know, okay, okay you want to go? Let's go to uh, Culver's. Okay, you know, and I was really hoping for Taco Bell. You know, and so we talk about what you want at Culver's, maybe what I want at Taco Bell. We figure it out. Should have said hot now because that's the like that <laughs> would that would want us both. One, yeah. yeah, that would want us both because the only place you can get it is here, right? Yeah, that's right? You know, but so you figure it out, and so maybe you pick today, I pick tomorrow. It doesn't have to be that complicated, but it's that difference of do I always have to bend to where you want to go out to eat, or do I have say in where we choose dinner? Do is there just a quality in the relationship? Do we get to change date nights? Do we? Does my voice matter in our conversations? That's huge. And that's a behavior that we can find in people, even, you know, that we work with, even that we just do social life with. Yeah, that's 100%. You know, our kids, when we talk about raising kids and stuff, do they have a say in some of the choices that are at their age level to make? Now, they right. don't get, maybe they don't get to choose their bedtime because they're five, but they get to have a say in what they wear as right. long as it's, you know, age appropriate, right? Sure, sure. You know, so equality is huge. Another one that you mentioned, respect. Does my partner respect me? 
do they laugh at me when I come out of the room for what I'm wearing? Now, am I wearing a sushi costume? (laughs) (laughs) It's meant to be funny. That's okay. Right. But But am I wearing a t-shirt and jeans? And they're just like, you look hideous. And just start laughing and making fun of me, right? Or is it that, like, it's meant to be a comedy? Or, you know, is it that simple joke, right? Because there's going to be times that you're going to laugh at what I wear. And, you know, that's okay. And and are we striving for perfection? No. So we're striving for attempt mm-hmm. and like intent. Mm-hmm. I've heard us say yes. on the episode on episodes mm-hmm. before. Um, so it's not perfection. So if my partner does laugh at me or make mm-hmm. a, a snide comment, and I say to them, "Hey, look, that really hurt me," and they mm-hmm. go, "You're fine. Mm-hmm. That's a red flag." Mm-hmm. But if they say, "Oh," I didn't realize that. Mm-hmm. And now it's it becomes a respect thing. Mm-hmm. Okay. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. And so valuing your opinion, understanding where you're coming from, you know, all those just respectful things to do. Um, another huge one is to give trust and support. I trust that when you're going to go to the grocery store, I don't need to look at the receipt to see how much money you spent. Right. Unless you're the accountant in the family. So yeah. if my wife's listening... She will do that. That's okay. <laughs> but it's not a but it's not a control thing. It's no keeping it's the a, books. Yeah. There's a difference. Again, intent. Yes. Okay. We have a family budget because we're saving for XYZ yeah. versus I gave you twenty dollars, you brought me back five cents. The receipt says you should have had ten cents back. What'd you do with that other five cents? Mm-hmm. Are you trying to save money to leave me? Because that's the intent, right? It's different. Okay. Or I check, I check your mileage to see where you went and what a place. No, I trust you went where you went. You had to go. If you had to make a detour, you had to make a detour. It's Michigan. You know, <laughs> yeah. we have two seasons, winter and construction. Yeah, Every day there's a, new, there's a new detour. We had a storm this week. There's a lot of detours now, you know, mm-hmm. and so it's that pit. Do I support you in your decisions? Do you want to switch jobs? Do you want to have kids? Do you want to move? Do you want to change your hair color or your the length of your hair or whatever? Do I support you in your decisions? Yeah. Because it's, it's your body. It's your choice. Or is it a, a decision that affects our family, like moving or getting a new job? You know, do I, you know, do I support you in your decisions, going back to school, all those kind of things? Is there just that support in that relationship? And again, these are things that we're talking about in an intimate relationship, but these are things in our friendships and our family member relationships too that could be, you know, applied in the same places. Um, accountability. You know, do you get to hold me as much accountable as I hold you? Like you said, with the budget and stuff, we've, this is a set agreement that we've had. Do we hold each other accountable for it? Are we trying to work towards something um, with raising our kids or with a job? You know, if I'm going back to school, are you reminding me like, hey, did you do your homework? Like that accountability piece of it. Um, We talk a lot about parenting because a lot of times children are are involved in relationships. And so are we parenting together? You know, if we're thinking about this relationship as being equal, am I the fun one and you are the rule enforcer? Because that's not always equal. I should get to have fun or you should get to have fun too sometimes. Now, sometimes, again, personality wise, one parent is better at being the enforcer and one is not right. I'm weak, man. You smile (laughs) at me the right way and you're right. Like you're ungrounded. I don't, you know. And so, again, that's that conversation that you and I have had as being in a relationship and we've decided like. You know, mutual accountability. Yeah. Again. Right. Yeah. And so, the, yeah, all these pieces go together. And so it's how are we parenting the kids? Yeah. Are we doing it together or are we, you know, doing it opposed of each other kind of thing? So another equal relationship. Um, 
we've talked about it, but that sharing of responsibility, you know, that bills are ours together and all those things, raising the kids are ours together, taking care of the house, the apartment, whatever it is, but sharing that responsibility, that it's no one person's load to have, because then there's that off balance again of it's all on you and, you know, I just play video games all day or something, right? right. which I would love. <laughs> I mean, what, what would you, what advice would you give to someone who's thinking about this and going mm-hmm. and think and saying, okay, I want to find this healthy relationship, mm-hmm. um, but I'm just so uncomfortable talking about these things mm-hmm. with my possible future mate, partner, mm-hmm. whomever. It's just uncomfortable. I don't want to, mm-hmm. these, these seems like things that you just don't talk about. Mm-hmm. What's your advice to someone who's scared about that? Find someone that you do feel comfortable talking about them with. So I do a lot of this as role play in Mm. therapy relationships. So how do you, because yeah, you don't just, I mean, for most people, you don't go up to somebody and be like, so what do you think about shared responsibility in relationships? Because I'm going to be like, I don't know. Sounds really romantic. Yeah, it does. First first date. date. Yeah. And so having that role play of like, how do you, how do you see these things lived out? You know, so if if we are going on our first date, have I asked you for, you know, where you would like to go? Or do I plan the whole thing out? Mm. Do I, on our first date, order order what you're going to have for dinner? Right? That's a little red flaggy. Like, you don't even know me yet. How do you know what I want to eat? Now, if we've dated for months and years and we go to Culver's, you probably know what I want. I want the kid's meal because it comes with free ice cream. Yeah, that's right. Exactly. You know, and so you might order for me because I go to the bathroom and I say, get me a number five and I go to the bathroom. Now that's different, right? Because we have that history and relationship. So kind of a lot of it is like, how are these things lived out as we're getting to know each other? Um, Oftentimes what I talk about with clients is who are people in your life that these things you see lived out? Who has a healthy relationship around you? And how long were they friends before they started dating? Or how long have they been dating or married? Because oftentimes a healthy relationship doesn't come from nowhere, that there's there's some history in it. And so what does that history look like? How did they know that they were somebody that they wanted to date? You know, what was that history involved in it? But so they can do that role play, you know, with their therapist. They can do it with their best friend too, you know? So maybe they have a healthy relationship with a friend yeah what does it look like you know how do they care about your friend how do they treat you what are questions to ask or do you bring a friend along for a date and they sit at the table next to you and they kind of they're that second set of eyes and ears for you there you go you know who's that who's that person that you call you know that calls you 30 minutes into the date (laughs) that you have to talk and be like oh yeah and then, you know, it's either my mom is sick and I have to go to the hospital or it was just my mom checking up on me, right. you know. But having those things, you know, we see them in the movies and, and we're like, oh, yeah, those are safe things to put in place in today's world. We don't know who, yeah. you know, we're meeting. And I, know, I've, I never would have thought of that to have someone there at that first date, mm-hmm. especially after going through this trauma, have mm-hmm. someone at the table next to you or near mm-hmm. you mm-hmm. to just keep their eye on you and make sure that you're OK. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I never would have thought of that. Mm hmm. And we've been actually really lucky. Um, I can't I can't think of the restaurants and bars off the top of my head now. But there's, I think it's called the Angel Project. Um, but there's bars in southwest Michigan that have, like, signs in the women's restroom. Um, I understand why they don't have them in the men's restroom. Because 
of course, the dynamics of abusers, but also then they would know what the project meant and stuff. Sure, yeah. However, I know that there are male survivors, and so I wish they had access to the same information. But if they're listening, they'll get the information. Um, but it's you go to the bar and you ask for a specific drink, and that tells the bartender what situation you're in. Oh. And if you need them to call someone, like the police, or if they if you just need them to call an Uber, that you go home and they tell them, hey, so-and-so called for you. But even that, that that we need this community to be supportive because you don't know where you're going for a first date. And so to know that those resources are out there, or or maybe you've been in an abusive relationship and so you've lost all your friends because although you're in a new relationship or you're just not in that relationship anymore, that person may have burned all your bridges. Mm -hmm. And so it's hard to reconnect even with your friendships. They don't want anything to do with you because they can't stand that person that you were with before. And so... Mm you still might be ready to date, but not have great friends, you know, or not have any friends. And so what are your, what are the communities around you and doing and how can they support you too? Yeah. Cause I I mean, isolation is a huge part of abuse. So Mm -hmm. you may very well have lost all of Mm -hmm. your friends or Mm -hmm. most of them. So what was it? It was called the angel project. I think it's called the angel project. Um, but I know bars in Southwest Michigan do it. And I know I've seen news articles, um, in like New York and California areas that have the program as well. But it's like, there's usually like three different drinks that you can get, like one for like an Uber or a Lyft drive, one for 911 and one like just to watch out for me Mm -hmm. and like keep an eye on me. Okay. So So, yeah, we'll, we'll share that resource then too. Yeah. Um, so you said earlier uh, you might look in the mirror and say, I'm not worth it. Uh, what is your worth? As as those of us who are listening who want to be advocates and allies mm-hmm. and help someone that we know has been in an abusive relationship, mm-hmm. who has that negative self-talk, who mm-hmm. doesn't have the, the self-esteem or the, mm-hmm. the self-worth, what can we say or do to help? Mm-hmm. Because I imagine just saying, but Liz, you are worth it. Mm-hmm. It might feel good, but you still have to break through that self-talk. Mm-hmm. What can we do as advocates and allies Mm -hmm. to help? Sometimes it is saying those words. And so asking the person that's been in this abusive relationship, you know, and if you have that history of relationship with them, what are some of the areas that you're working on and need help in? And if I say, you know, I try to tell myself every day that I'm worth it, hearing that phrase from you is helpful, right? Hearing that phrase, I can work through this. I can't overcome this. My ex does not de- does not define my future relationships. And every person is going to have a different phrase f- for combating their self-talk. And so what are you telling yourself? Um, I know a lot of survivors have enjoyed writing on their bathroom mirrors in um, dry erase markers because they wipe right off mm-hmm. different phrases, you know? And so if you go to your friend's house and they've got... Um, you know, positive self-esteem messages written on their mirror, write one back to them, Mm. right? Write a post-it note and put it somewhere for them. Um, I give a lot of my clients journals um, just to do whatever with. They don't have to bring them to session. They can bring them to session if they want to. And oftentimes when someone said, yes, I'd like a journal, it's that next session that I bring it to them. And I will randomly put a post-it note in one of the pages. I just open it, write something. I put their name on it so they know that it was intentional, that it wasn't just they found it randomly and put it in there. Nice. You know, because whether it makes their day that day or not, it's that message of like, you know, Liz was my supporter at one time and she'll probably be in the future. Mm -hmm. If I needed her, I can I can contact her. And so it's it's knowing what that person is battling. If you have that relationship with them and knowing, 
you know, what are their phrases that they're sharing? And sometimes it's being just as honest to say like, you look really beautiful today. I love your new hair. It's noticing those things because oftentimes we go throughout our world and we don't notice the changes in people around us. And so it's seeing those notices saying, you know, I can see that you've really been working on yourself and you just glow now. Like I see your self-confidence rising. And it's that assurance of like, I am, like I did do stuff. You're right, you know, because we don't see the change in ourselves because we're with ourselves every day, you know. Mm-hmm. I always talk about, you know, when you get a puppy or a kitten, you're with them every day. You don't see them grow. But when you're the visitor and every other week you see the puppy, that puppy will triple in size in <laughs> yeah. a week. But you don't see it. And we're, we're that puppy or that kitten. We don't see ourselves change in the mirror every day. But other people do. And so it's it's commenting back on that on that change that we've seen. And how important is it to listen and ask those questions? Mm-hmm. Because in my mind, what, like, if, I, I feel like if I were to say to, to let's say, a woman who's been through an abusive relationship, mm-hmm. you, you look so beautiful today, mm-hmm. that might might be a trigger. Yes. Maybe her abuser said that. Mm-hmm. Or if I say to a, a, a guy who's been through it, boy, you sure are strong or something. Mm-hmm. That, like the things we say could be triggering. Yes. So is it important then obviously, I mean, it's things like a dumb question, but how important is it to, to listen and ask mm-hmm. those questions? Then yeah. And that's why it starts with, you know, yes, phrases can be helpful and some, it's that intent, right? And so when they, when you say I'm beautiful and then I like, you know, I twinge or something, it's like, I meant that because I can't, you know, and mm-hmm. ha- but having that relationship first and knowing what are the things that are helpful and what aren't? And sometimes it's asking that question, how can I be your ally, Dan, how can I support you as an individual that I care about? Mm-hmm. And it might take you a few days or moments to have an answer for that. And that's okay. I'm here when you need me. Just let me know. But that I also, I want to support you and I want to care about you in the best way. And I don't want you, I don't want to have a cookie cutter answer for you. Yeah. And so, you know, and then at maybe as I say things or do things, you know, tell me, call me out when I say it and it hurts and tell me when it felt good. And I will, I will change because I want to support you. And that's huge. But yeah, listening. Good, good for advocates and allies to know. Mm -hmm. Um, And if, and if, if someone's in an abusive relationship or is just getting out of one, they find themselves isolated Mm -hmm. and don't have people who do that. Mm -hmm. We're here for them. Yes. 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 And for those allies, we're here for you too. You got Mm -hmm. a friend and you don't know what to say you don't know how many times i have answered the crisis line at our shelter and it's my friend or family member and i don't know what to say i'll give you some pointers Mm. it'll be help it might be helpful might not right because i don't know the survivor but here are some resources to read to check out our facebook our website all those kind of things but call us because it is scary, but it's that knowing that, like, I may say the wrong thing, but it's the intent of my heart. Yeah. But, yeah, we are here 24 hours a day, seven days a week. You can't sleep in the middle of the night is what I tell all of my clients. You wake up in the middle of the night, you had a bad dream, there was a noise outside. You know, it's Michigan, so it's thunderstorm seasoning and so, or season. And so noises are scary in the middle of the night. You can't fall back to sleep. Call our 1-800 number. I don't, you know, wherever you live and you just need someone to talk to, we're there. Yeah. Eight hundred eight two eight two zero two three. Do it. Any last pieces of, of advice or story or anything you want to share with people who are looking to have that healthy relationship after mm-hmm. domestic violence that journey? It is possible, and it's 
when you're ready and when you want one that you um, just because you look out in your community in your society that you live in and your friend group your family group and you see people in romantic relationships you don't have to conform to what society says that you should be in a relationship or not it's when you're ready to be in that relationship you know that it's possible if you want it Thank you for bringing this to listeners today, Liz. Appreciate it very much. And uh, for those listening, dasismi.org for all of our resources, 1-800-828-2023. As Liz said, 24-7, 365, we are here for you. So Mm -hmm. uh, thanks again. Thank you. Thank you for listening to I'm Not In an Abusive Relationship. If these stories resonate with you and you need help, please visit our website, dasismi.org. That's dasismi.org or call our hotline at 800-828-2023. We are here to walk alongside you. Now, if you know someone who might benefit from our show, please share it. Social media, email, simply telling someone about it all help us spread the word and help us to combat domestic and sexual violence. We also welcome financial and volunteer support. That information is on our website. Thank you to the staff, volunteers, and board of directors at Domestic and Sexual Abuse Services. This podcast is produced with the help of a committee of dedicated advocates. Thank you to WBET Radio in Sturgis, Michigan for the use of their studio. This has been a podcast about surviving domestic and sexual violence and a production of Domestic and Sexual Abuse Services of Michigan.